0: Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
2: in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear, true human stories of Mr. President.
0: Our Mr. President story will begin in just a moment. But meantime, how extensive is your knowledge of our country's past presidents? For example, can you name the president who once sold all the White House furniture or the president who had a habit of bathing in the canal back of the White House? There are so many colorful anecdotes about our former chief executives that it's not surprising we find the lives of American presidents so fascinating. Perhaps it's because most of us can identify ourselves with their way of life, their private ambitions, their relationships with their wives, children, and friends, are so much like our own that we often feel their stories are our stories too. Each week, Mr. President removes the pedestal from under our famous leaders to reveal them as they were, human beings whose desires and ambitions were much the same as yours and mine. Listen to this absorbing drama and see if you can name the president upon whom the story is built. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold as Mr. President. <laughs>
2: as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the
3: long hall to the president's study. Hello. Sit down, won't you? You know, you can't always recognize the intrinsic value of things from their appearance. For instance, if you were to stub your toe on a 200-carat diamond in the rough, you might just be annoyed and kick it out of the way. The chances are you wouldn't take a second look at it. That's the way it was with a great undeveloped region in North America before it became part of the United States. Not many gave it a second thought. And it took a lot of convincing to prove that it was a diamond in the rough. Later on, of course, I'll tell you who was president then. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. (laughs) Perhaps I wouldn't have realized the importance of the great Oregon territory myself if it hadn't been for the advice of the general, one of my oldest and dearest friends, a man of vision, a great statesman, an ex-president.
4: Sit down, sir, sit down.
3: All right, general, but this chair knows you better than it does me. Why feel out of place on this side of the desk when you're in the room? Out of place? I did a lot of work to get you on that side of the desk,
4: Mr. President.
3: (laughs) I know you did, and I'm very grateful to you, sir.
4: And so far, you've done all right. Read your igno- inaugural speech. Yeah, not bad,
3: not bad at all. Well, coming from you, that's higher praise than I could hope for, sir.
4: The reason I know it's good is that the British don't like it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they
4: got so hopping mad, they had a debate about it in Parliament. Know that?
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it was brought to my attention all too quickly by members of the opposition, Senator Wells in particular. Him? Bah! Yes, uh, he's thoroughly alarmed by the reaction in London to my speech.
4: Anybody that's going to get scared every time the British rattle their drums, well, don't pay any attention to them, Mr. President. I didn't. I know you didn't. I guess I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. But if I've learned anything, it's this. When you believe in something strongly enough, you've got to act bold, or somebody's bound to talk you out of it.
3: General, everyone. And your enemies, most of all, have always had the highest respect for your courage. Of course. Now
4: that I'm out of office, they all love me. But they didn't call it courage when I was sitting in that chair. <laughs> you've been in public office a long time, Mr. President. But that particular chair is a target that's hard to
3: resist. You'll find that out soon enough. I know, General. But as long as I have you around to give me moral support, I think I can stand it.
4: Hang it all, Mr. President. You can't count on anybody else in this Oregon affair. Sure, you've made fine speeches. You're thinking right. But words and thinking aren't enough. You've got to act.
3: Well, I intend to, sir. When? Well,
4: I... That's just it. It takes more than good intentions. You've got to do it now before the British get a foothold in Oregon and swindle us out of it. Well, our title to that land, General, is clear and unquestionable. Sure, sure, sure it is. But the British say their title is clear and unquestionable, too. And you know what they're saying about you? They think you're weak need that you'll hesitate and shrink at
3: the threat of war. Well, there's no, been no real threat of war, General. Not yet. But they're going to make a big fuss, and you know it. And you know Why? Because Oregon
4: is a great country for people who have eyes to see it. It's got timber and mountains filled with ore, and land that'll grow anything. Sure, the British want it. If you don't do something about it pretty quick, they're going to get it. General, all I can say is I intend to meet this issue with energy and promptness. Good, but you can't be too prompt. Now, look, I hope you don't mind my friendly suggestion.
3: Yes, of course not. I'm honored, sir. You
4: know, the older you get, the more
3: you like to hear yourself talk. There isn't much else left to do. (laughs) Well, General, whenever you feel like talking, will you please come to see me? And I promise you, I'll do everything I can about Oregon. Well, that's all I came to see you about. Well, you'll take care of yourself, of course, won't you, General?
4: Sure, sure, I will. Uh, But, Mr. President, I think you'd better take care of your health, too. You're
3: going to need it. Good day, sir. Good day, General. Goodbye,
4: Miss Harrow.
5: Goodbye, sir.
3: From so, Miss Sarah? Uh,
5: yes, Mr. President. I
3: want you to get in touch with the Secretary of State, Mr. Buchanan, immediately. Have him prepare a new map and a survey of the Oregon Territory and bring it to me as soon as possible.
1: Here you are, Mr. President. Here's the new map of the Oregon Territory you wanted. Oh,
3: thank you, Jim. Now let me see. Uh huh. Jim, uh, there's been a lot of loose talk on the Oregon question. Too
1: much, sir, I'm afraid. It's only added to the confusion. Well, I'm
3: not confused. It's all very clear. Now is the time to make the first move. Look, the British claim all this area down here. That's right. And on the other hand, we, and uh, we have maps on file in the archives of England itself to substantiate it, we claim the territory up to here. Yes. Well, I suppose to strike a quick bargain, we'll have to make some kind of a concession. All right, now this is our offer. We'll divide the territory about here, along the 49th Parallel. That is, of course, without free navigation of the Columbia River. That's a very generous offer, sir. I think it is. I hope the British realize it. I'll take it to Sir Richard Pakenham at once, sir. Fine. And will you make it clear to the British minister that it will be to his country's best interest to accept this offer now? (laughs)
1: This is not an offer. This is an outrage. Sir Richard, both the president and the State Department have agreed that this is the most equitable settlement of the boundary question. I find it completely offensive, sir. And I reject it categorically. But I think perhaps if you presented it to
2: your government. Mr. McKenna, it would be an insult to present such a preposterous proposition to my government.
3: Good day, sir. <laughs> So he didn't like it, eh, Jim? Called it an outrage,
1: I suppose. Mr. President, he wouldn't even refer it to his government in London. He'll wish he had before we're through with him. But how can we get him to do that? It's very simple.
3: By withdrawing our offer. Withdrawing it? It hasn't even been presented yet. You know, Jim, Sir Richard uh, Pakenham has done us a great favor. A favor? The offer you gave him was a compromise. I did that in deference to commitments made by my predecessor. We didn't really want to settle for the 49th parallel anyway. Well, now he's rejected our offer, so we're free to ask for what... We're really entitled to. Oh, then you're making a new proposal. Right. Right. Now, look, Jim. Here's that uh, map you brought me. Mm -hmm. Remember my first marking there? That's our claim, 300 miles north of the 49th Barrel. Yes. And that's what we're going to ask for from now on. And we're going to do everything we can to get it. And the whole country will be in back of us. But,
1: Mr. President, if the British were so upset by your original demands, what do you think is going to happen when they're
3: presented with this? Well, they can't get any more upset than they are now. And they can't do any more than they've already done, unless they declare war, and I don't think they'll do that. I hope you're right, sir. But what is Congress going to say about such a sudden change in policy? Jim, I'm sending a message to Congress. I'm asking for an abrogation of the agreement, providing for joint occupation of the Oregon Territory. We'll give England 12 months' notice. 12 months? That ought to give them plenty of time to think it over before they do anything drastic. You'll also give Senator Wells plenty of time to organize the opposition. Oh, Senator Wells. Well, uh, Jim, we'll have to meet that problem when it arises.
5: Mr. Speaker?
2: the Speaker? Senator Wells has the floor. Senator? Gentlemen, you have heard the President's message to Congress. I am sure you are all as shocked and disturbed by its implications as I am. Gentlemen, I am astounded by the President's proposal. At the best, it's an idle dream. At the worst, it's a dangerous, unprofitable, foolhardy venture. Oregon! Gentlemen, what do we want with this vast, worthless area? This region of savages and wild beasts, of deserts of shifting sands, and whirlwinds of dust, of cactus and prairie dogs. To what use could we ever hope to put these great deserts or those endless mountain ranges... Impenetrable, covered to their very base with eternal snow. What can we ever hope to do with the western coast? A coast of three thousand miles of rock-bound, cheerless coast, uninviting, and not a harbor on it. What use have we for this country? Gentlemen, I say, if the British really want Oregon, let them have it. Yeah. <laughs>
5: Who's here? Well, you did want to see Senator Wells, didn't you? Hmm,
3: Wells? Oh, yes, of course I wanted to see him. I want to find out if he really believes all that nonsense he told Congress yesterday.
0: <laughs> Senator Wells has a tendency to be carried away by his own eloquence.
3: Yes, sir, I've heard, and very often. <laughs> you better have him come in, Miss Sarah. Yes, sir.
5: Senator Wells, the President will see you now.
4: Thank you, Miss Sarah.
2: Hello, Mr. President. Hello, Senator. I assume, sir, that you've asked me to come here to
3: discuss the Oregon matter with you. You assume correctly, Senator. Have you read my speech to the Senate, sir? Oh, yes, I have, and very carefully. Did you really mean all you said?
2: I beg your pardon, That's sir. no
3: offense, Senator, I assure you. I meant, do you really believe that Oregon is such a worthless area?
2: I said it, therefore I believe it, sir. Mr. President, although you are not a Westerner, you seem to have a sentimental affection in that direction. But, sir, I am speaking of the Far West, and that is something else. Have you ever been to the Oregon Territory, Mr. President? No. Have you? Uh, No, but I've made a very thorough study of it. And so have I? And I I can assure you, Mr. President, that if we should be so foolish as to accept responsibility for this region, we shall never cease to regret it. We should have much
3: graver regrets if we shirk that responsibility.
2: I cannot agree with that, sir. But even if this area did have any value, I would like to point out to you that Great Britain, by discovery, exploration, and settlement, possesses title to a very great portion of the area you've demanded.
3: You mean they claim to possess title, Senator. If we falter or hesitate in the slightest, England will immediately become more arrogant in her demands, and will try to grasp not part, but all of the Oregon Territory. But where is
2: our right any better, sir? What can we honestly base it on? On the Monroe Doctrine, Senator. The North American continent is no longer open for colonization. Mr. President, that's a very easy statement to make in this room, but I caution you, sir. Such an attitude publicly expressed will not only split this country wide open, but also will provoke war with England. Now, what makes you think that England wants war, Senator Wells? If you make such impossible demands upon her, sir, you leave England no other choice. Senator, there's only one way to
3: deal with John Bull, and that is look him right straight in the eye. (laughs)
2: In just a moment, we'll come
0: back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Let me tell you about a fellow named... Well, let's call him Bob. Bob died last year. People said it was a pity because he was only 32. But the real pity of the situation was that he'd be alive today if only he'd known he was stricken with tuberculosis. You see, tuberculosis no longer needs to be fatal. It can be cured if it is detected. Yet tuberculosis continues to be the leading death-dealing disease among people between the ages of 15 and 44. Here's why. It's estimated that right now 500,000 Americans are afflicted with TB. Remember, the sooner tuberculosis is detected, the quicker and easier the cure. So protect yourself and your family. Have your chest x-rayed. In some places, x-rays can be obtained free or at a nominal cost through a local tuberculosis association or health department. Check your chest. Get a chest x-ray tomorrow. Now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
3: Perhaps you have already guessed who the president was in this story. But don't forget, many presidents look to the West as the frontier of the United States of continental dimensions. Later on, I'll tell you which one this was. In making a new and greater claim for the Oregon Territory, I faced opposition not only from the British, who felt strongly that they had clear title to a large part of the region, but also from such influential members of Congress as Senator Wells. As the Senator put it, if I pushed my demands, I risked the chance of splitting the country and provoking England to war. This was no easy decision. I had always depended upon my dearest friend, the General, for counsel, but he hadn't been deceiving me for several weeks. I hadn't received word that he was ill. Betsy? Betsy, you here?
5: Yes, Papa.
4: Oh, Betsy, what a lucky son I have to have married you. How do you feel, Father? Pretty comfortable for an old man. Now, if you'd be so kind, uh, pen and paper, please, I want to write a letter.
0: Couldn't you put that off until tomorrow? Tomorrow?
4: Huh? I may not be here tomorrow. Papa. And I kind of think my friend would like to hear from me. All right. Not that I'm worried, but maybe he is. Here you are. Thank you, Betsy. Now, let me see. Dear Mr. President. Betsy, I have a lot of faith in that man.
0: Everybody says he could
5: well have been your son. He's so very much like you, sir.
4: Maybe that's why I feel so responsible for him. Maybe I... Uh, Well, let's get on with it. Be assured, my friend, that it is truly grateful to learn from you that you have taken such a firm and fearless stand on the Oregon matter. I salute you, but I must caution you again. They'll make it as hard as they can for you. There is no easy way. You have only to do your duty
3: true to your trust, Only and with strong conviction. I say, go ahead. You've got work to do. My faith is in you. I can write no more. Friendship has aroused me to make this attempt. Your friend.
5: This is the last letter the General ever wrote, Mr. President.
3: Yes, I know, Miss Sarah. He died before it reached me. It's dated June the 6th and he passed away two days later.
5: The country has lost a great patriot.
3: And I have lost a great friend, Miss Sarah.
5: I just can't believe he's gone, sir.
3: Gone? Oh, he's not gone, Miss Sarah. A great man doesn't really die. I think the old gentleman is still with us. Oh, come on, Miss Sarah. What would the general say if he saw us blubbering this way? (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) You know what he'd say? He'd say, read that letter again.
5: (laughs) It says, go ahead,
3: you've got work to do. (laughs) (laughs) And he's right, Miss Sarah. We've got a lot of work to do. And if we're ever going to get Oregon, and if we do get it, Oregon will be a monument to the general's memory. the President will see you now. Thank, Thank you, Miss Sarah. You. Mr. President. Hello, Mr. Secretary, Sir Richard. Greetings, Mr. President. Sit down, gentlemen, if you please. Thank you. Sir, I have already submitted the proposal to
2: your State Department. But Mr. Buchanan suggested that I deliver it to you personally. Yes. Since it has been impossible to reach any agreement on the Oregon question, I have proposed
3: that we arbitrate it. Arbitrate it? You imply that the territory is to be divided and that the title is in dispute? We can't accept that proposition. Then you reject my proposal? Yes, I certainly do. And furthermore, if I am well aware that British subjects are occupying land north of the Columbia River in territory that we claim... My government regards that as our territory, sir. And I wish to remind you, sir, of the Monroe Doctrine. This continent is no longer open for colonization. My government does not acknowledge such a doctrine. Well, then what basis have we for arbitration, even if we would accept it? I
2: see, Mr. President, that
0: it is useless to discuss the matter with you further.
5: Good
2: day, sir. Mr. President, I've come to ask you to listen to reason. Who's reason? I understand that the British want to arbitrate, sir. Yes, they made that suggestion. I strongly recommend that it be accepted, sir.
3: It's the best we'll ever get. On the contrary, it's the least we could ever get. And by the way, Senator, your speeches to the Senate advocating compromise and suggesting that the British have title to a large portion of the country have only made the British more determined than ever to stand by their extravagant claims.
2: Mr. President, do you mean to accuse me of supporting the British position? What else are you doing? I'm looking into the future,
3: sir. And so am I looking into the future. I'm looking into it thoroughly. But I'm looking at it through the eyes of the American people. And, Senator, if Congress does not pass that notice to the British... I'll have to go over their heads and appeal to the American people.
5: Mr.
1: President. Hello, Jim. Mr. President, I have good news. Congress has passed the resolution giving notice to England to terminate the joint agreement. Oh, fine. Fine, Jim. I'm delighted. The resolution,
3: sir, contains a preamble. A preamble?
1: Yes, assuring everybody concerned that it is a peaceful measure.
3: Peaceful? Jim, everything depends upon our maintaining a firm position. I would have preferred the resolution without the preamble, but this is better than no resolution at all, and it's the first great step forward. Jim, now that we've started moving, we've got to keep moving fast. This notice is still only a piece of paper. The British won't r- really believe we're serious until we until we begin moving to Oregon. And Jim, we've got to start moving. <laughs> We
5: not call all
3: Americans men of destiny. Our forefathers sailed the great and dangerous ocean to reach this land. Their sons beat a path through dense forests to build a great nation. And what was their direction? Westward, always westward. And now who will carry on that glorious journey? Who will blaze the long trail to that other great ocean which bounds this land of ours? Once more it will be brave Americans who will fearlessly follow the course of the sun to the west.
2: Still in Kansas. Look, I told you over and over again we got 2,000 miles to go before we get to Oregon.
3: A journey of 2,000 miles. The way lies over trackless wastes, wide and deep rivers, rugged and lofty mountains, and is beset with hostile savages. <laughs> better bank
4: the fire, Jed. It's been a long day. Time to turn in
1: now. It's awful quiet, Sam. Kind of scary here, too. Only about 50 of us out here. Nobody's ever been here before. Not another living soul in a thousand miles.
5: Ah! Ah! Ah!
3: Promise that we will establish a series of blockhouses to protect our brave settlers. For the journey is not easy, and the hardships are many. But no matter how deep the rivers, no, how high the mountains, what enemies there are, you are men and women found ready and equal to the occasion. And for you, we have prepared large land tracts. And to ensure your security, we have extended federal law over the entire territory. It is your spirit which overcomes every obstacle which makes a frontier of the impossible and which has created our great nation. It is you, hardy people, who shall bring and bridge a land from the Atlantic to the Pacific.
0: Westward has gathered such momentum that if many more go, we won't have anybody
3: left here. Well, I don't think we have to worry about that yet, Missara. There's always Senator Wells and the people who think like them. They don't like Oregon. Yes, I know. And then there are some of us who have strong ties here or are just too lazy to get up and go. And then there are quite a number who happen to like it here. But seriously, the emigration westward is the greatest example of the courage and hardihood of a people who have a great dream and a great vision. Excuse me. Surely. Excuse me.
5: Hello, Miss Sarah. Oh,
1: hello, Mr.
3: Buchanan. Oh, Jim, come in, come in. Mr. President,
1: I have just received a proposition from England for drawing the boundary of Oregon. Oh, what are they asking for this time? You won't believe this, sir, but they're offering us the old 49th parallel proposal. Oh, 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 no, they are, are they? With slight modifications, but, Mr. President, I'm sure the majority of the senators would support this proposal vigorously. I myself must highly recommend it. Not only will it give us a sizable and desirable portion of the territory, but I am sure that we can get
3: proposal from the Congress. And after all, Mr. President, this is the important... Jim, wait a minute. You don't have to sell this to me. I beg your pardon. I'm in favor of it. After all... We'll only be accepting the exact offer we made in the first place. But you have been so strongly committed to your larger demands, sir. Jim, one of the best ways of driving a bargain is to ask for more than you think you'll get. I can see that that's an effective procedure, but, Mr. President, what really has
1: brought England to terms is your encouragement of the great immigration West. After all, with the tremendous influx of
3: American citizens on the Pacific coast, there is no longer any dispute as to its title. Uh, wait a minute, Jim. Wait a minute. Sarah. Yes, sir. Uh, what day is this?
5: Well, uh, Thursday.
3: No, no, no. I, I mean The date. June 6th. June 6th. Oh, I thought so. You know, it's wonderful. What is, Mr. President? Miss Sarah, do you remember the last letter the general wrote me before he died?
5: Of course I do, sir.
3: That letter was dated June the 6th, too. Was it? Yes. And I'm sure the general, wherever he is, would be very pleased to know that exactly one year after he wrote that letter, the British have come to terms. terms.
1: And our terms. And
3: our terms. You know something? I wouldn't be at all surprised if the old gentleman hadn't planned this way. Well, all all the time, you know. Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment.
0: Pearson predicts. Every Sunday night, you learn what's going to happen before it happens from the famous reporter Drew Pearson. Drew Pearson walks and talks with those in high places and brings you exclusive stories of what goes on behind political portals all over the world. Yes, Pearson's Newsbeat covers the globe, and his predictions of things to come are inside tip-offs on the biggest news events in the best first edition style. A keen student of national and international questions, Pearson, whose newspaper column is the most widely published column in the world, Recently celebrated his 14th year as one of our country's top ranking radio commentators and analysts. So to keep up on the trend of the times, be on hand when Drew Pearson broadcasts tonight and every Sunday night over most of these same ABC stations. Now here again is Edward Arnold.
3: The time of this story was 1845 and 1846, and the president then was James K. Polk, who was elected president under the famous slogan of 54-40 or fight. He took full leadership on the question of the Oregon Territory and almost single-handedly pushed it to a successful conclusion. And the old general and ex-president was none other than old Hickory himself. Yes, if it hadn't been for the influence of uh, Andrew Jackson and the courageous and determined battle of his protege, James Polk, who incidentally was known as Young Hickory, we might today be standing on British territory as we do this broadcast on the banks of the Columbia River in Portland, Oregon, USA. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye.
2: This podcast came to you as part of the inaugural ceremonies dedicating the increase to 50,000 watts of power of radio station KEX. Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer soon to release Frank Capra's State of the Union, starring Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, and Van Johnson. (music) Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This story by Milton Merlin was suggested by incidents in the administration of President James K. Polk. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adler.
0: Be sure to listen again at this same time next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr.
5: President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.